Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and we need Jesus. We need to have a biblical and Christian worldview, and we need to live in the truth of God's Word. And I'm so glad in this half hour I may get a chance to talk to my friend David Wheaton as we continue our 12-part series on embracing a Christian worldview. This is part 10. David, welcome back. Good to be with you, Bill. You yeah. know, we're doing 12 parts, but we only have one month left, so we may have to do... Uh... <laughs> Part 11 and 12 in December. All right. Well, we can probably pull that off. Let's uh, just catch up with what we did last time because it's always good. We're a month apart. So what were some of the most important points from last time we talked? Yeah. So we're we're really in part three and four of this series of embracing a Christian worldview. I know it's a 12-part series, but there's really four major sections of it. Uh, it. It starts out with what's the foundation of a Christian worldview what are the fundamentals of a Christian worldview? We've done that months ago. And then the last couple times we've been together, we've talked about the the um, the formation and the function. That's what we'll talk about today, the function. But last time we talked about the formation. How do you develop a Christian worldview? And the first thing I think it's important to say is that it's available to anyone and everyone who, who is a believer. Uh, this isn't for those who go to Bible college or seminary or pastors, those are the only people that can really have a Christian worldview, you know, the intellectuals among us, the, the big readers, so to speak. A, a biblical worldview is available to anyone who is, and we said three things, to anyone who is saved, in other words, someone who's been born again, that's the prerequisite to having a biblical worldview, because you can't have the mind of Christ if you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. That's why the world has no understanding and no idea about a Christian worldview. They can read the same Bible and just not understand it because God gifts us something of immense, immeasurable importance when we're saved or born again. You are given the Holy Spirit to help you understand and to guide you in your understanding of God's Word and then how to apply that Word. So the forming a Christian worldview starts with, number one, being saved, being born again. And just like Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again to Nicodemus. It wasn't, yeah, you should really consider it. You should think about it. No, you must be born again, because that's why God created you to be in relationship with him, to know him, to be reconciled to him, so you can give him glory and live for his glory. And so that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's, that is the prerequisite to having a biblical worldview. So that, that's the charge to anyone listening today who's just coming across the dial, listening to these two guys talk yeah. about a series on embracing a Christian worldview, is that obey Christ's command to repent of your sin and believe in the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came and lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary, sacrificial death on the cross for the sins of mankind so that God's wrath and justice could be satisfied and that God could justly forgive us and account to us the righteousness of Christ and and make us born again and, and righteous and welcome us into heaven someday. That's what it means to be saved. That's what mm. Jesus said when he said, be born again. You must be born again. So that was that's the prerequisite for having a Christian worldview, because when you get that, 
then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And all of a sudden you start to understand what the Bible actually says and what this is about. Otherwise, it's just sort of confusing. Then number two, last week, or in the last couple times we've spoken, we've gone from, yeah, you, mu- you must be saved to, to form a Christian worldview, but to also form a Christian worldview, then that process begins in our Christian life called sanctification. So it goes from justification or being saved to sanctification. And this is the process that, again, the Holy Spirit works in our life, that he increases our holiness, our set-apartness, our becoming more like Christness. And when this takes place in our life, and this, this, this takes place, as we talked about in the last interview or t- two, through the ordinary means of grace that God's provided. There's not some special school you have to go to. You don't have to, like, you know, go to some place or some guru or go live in a cave somewhere and be a monk for three years and that kind of thing. No, the ordinary means of grace that God's designed is for believers to be part of a local fellowship in a church that soundly teaches Scripture. And so as a, as a believer is in that kind of fellowship, they, they, they're in church, they're hearing the Word exposited verse by verse, they're fellowshipping with other believers, they're doing the ordinances, they're remembering Christ's death, uh, and so there's all those things taking place, those ordinary means of grace, there's prayer, there's Bible reading, simple fundamental things that God uses as the Holy Spirit works in our life to sanctify us or set us apart for God's use. And so we talked about that, I think it was the last time, that the whole goal of the Christian life is written right there in Romans 8, 29. For those whom God foreknew, these are believers, God also predestined them to become conformed to the image of his son. And that is the goal of the Christian life. So there's, there, and to do that, there's things we need to stay away from. Don't be conformed to the world, that says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the world's sinful perspective and values, but there's things to do, and do be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that takes place, again, through those ordinary means of grace, being part of a local fellowship, reading the word yourself, other Christian fellowship you're involved in, that's how you form a Christian worldview. Mm, beautifully expressed, David Wheaton. I appreciate that. All right, now that we have the formation of a Christian worldview, and you've done a brilliant job of giving us uh, that information, how do we walk it out? How do we live accordingly to that um, that, yeah. that worldview? Yeah, you know, I, I forgot to mention one thing about, about the formation before we get to the function. Okay. We all, if you don't mind, because this is an important one as well. So we talked about being saved. Okay. That's the prerequisite. You have to be saved. You have to have the spirit to have the mind of Christ. And then you have to grow that through sanctification. That's number two. But number three is sort of a sub point, actually, sort of a sub point of the sanctification one is you need to be engaged and you need to be engaged with both believers and non-believers. And we talked about how engaging with believers in your local church is, is so important. You know, Proverbs 13 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. When we engage with other believers who love God and his word, you become like the people we with. you're with. We know that's a truism. You know, you spend time with good people, it's going to lift you up. If you spend time with people who are always trying to pull you down, you're going to go the other way. So that that's very true. But also there, there's this engagement that we're not saved and we're not sanctified. We don't form a Christian worldview to keep it to ourselves to isolate ourselves and you know check the box. Now I have a biblical worldview, and that, that's it for me. No, we want to use it. We want to engage with non-believers, and we're saved, 
to become like Christ in order to tell others about Christ. And so when we engage with non-believers for gospel purposes, not just for close friendships, we're, we're, we're kind of on, on that borderline of saying, well, who's impacting whom in this relationship? But when we engage with non-believers, praying for them, always in the back of our mind thinking, Lord, please, opportunity for the gospel, please open this person's mind. There, there's, and Bill, you were an athlete, you know how it is, you, you get on a, on a tennis court, let's say, you're playing against someone, the opposition can make you stronger. It doesn't just help to play with those of equal or less ability all the time. It really helps to, to, to engage with, with those who are going to put a little resistance to what you believe. It makes you think through what you're going to believe. So that was a long way of answering that, but I just wanted to quickly mention that sub-point because I think it's important that we're not saved and sanctified just for ourselves. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I really like the illustration, David. I think that's why I never played against you, because I didn't want that much pressure. <laughs> well, we uh, we were from a little different generation, yeah, that's so we true. never really had that. That's never, true. never really had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for s- salvaging uh, that that moment for me. All right, let's uh, let's move on now to just embracing yep. and living accordingly, because I think that's where yep. it gets challenging for people that they they have a formation of a of a Christian worldview, but then how do they walk it out? Right, and, and that's where this this phrase comes from. Think biblically. In other words, form a Christian worldview, but then don't stop there. That there's a function. The formation is to think biblically, but the function of that Christian worldview is to then live accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, you develop a biblical or Christian worldview to put it to use every single day. It's not just something you do on Sundays or kind of when you have a religious conversation. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember early on. This would have been months ago now, earlier in the series, Bill, but we talked about how one's worldview drives all of our decisions. And life is just a series of one conscious and subconscious decision after another. I mean, you chose to get out of bed this morning. That was a decision. I know it was unconscious, and you did it just naturally and so forth, and you chose what you had for breakfast. But those are just simple decisions. But when we start to make bigger decisions in life, what drives that is our worldview. And we have countless decisions we make every day. And now that you've formed a Christian worldview, the, the, the goal is, is the function is to use it to make wise decisions for God's glory. And so you use the mind of Christ, a, a biblical worldview. That If you think about it, well, what's a Christian worldview? This is thinking like Christ. That, that's really what it means. And so all the different things we come across as, as believers on a daily basis, think about it, Bill, just having to discern error from truth. And that, that's such a big thing today. There's so much disinformation and misinformation, both in current events, but also in the spiritual realm, too. Lots of false teaching or, or not really good teaching. And so you need to use a biblical worldview to compare what you're hearing to what Scripture actually says. Like the Bereans, remember in Acts 17, they, mm-hmm. they didn't just listen to Paul right away. They, they went back to Scripture to see whether these things were so so there's one way to use the function of a Christian worldview once it's been formed is to discern truth from error. Another way is to overcome temptation, uh, to, to realize when we, to realize, to notice, to observe, when we're to, to know ourselves well enough to know that when we're being tempted to go a certain way and to use a biblical worldview to, re, to recognize that, but then to replace that temptation with the truth of Scripture, just like Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted by Satan, every time he was tempted, 
what did he do? He engaged with his biblical worldview right away. I love that. You know, Satan would tempt him in one thing, and he'd say, it is written. Mm-hmm. It is written. Yeah. He just immediately used that biblical worldview. Right. I'll give you another another point, Bill, uh, to how to use it. How do, like, uh, a very practical way here, how to evaluate the right person for, for marriage, who you're going to marry? I mean, people get into marriages for really all the wrong reasons. And if you're a Christian, have a biblical worldview to know what the priorities are of someone who would be worthy uh, for a strong Christ-honoring marriage or raising kids. You use a biblical worldview to raise your children. Don't go based on like what the psychologies and kind of what the public school system puts out, the latest quote-unquote experts and research. No, what's the truth of the Word of God say? Uh, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is the command for parenting. You know, discipline is correcting wrong behavior, and instruction is teaching right behavior. Forget all the studies and the psychologists and psychiatrists. They're just making up human ideas. We need to go to what total truth is in the Word. And so there's a, a whole host of other decisions we face every day. So we need to run our decision-making process through a saved mind and a sanctified mind. What has God said in his word about this this decision I'm considering? What are the implications from his word about this decision I'm considering? So th- this is really how we 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 how the Christian worldview functions, how we put it to use in all those daily decisions. David, I love that answer because you love the Lord your God with the decisions you make. You know the the Greek word for heart is cardia, and that's uh, that's where you make your decisions. So that's how you love God, and our obedience to Him is with the decisions you make. That is such a good point, and as you said that, it, it prompted something in me to think. Basically, all all our decisions, what we our choices in life are, it's always a ratio of love. What we love, do we we, we get tempted? Are we going to love the the temporary satisfaction of pleasing our flesh? Or are we going to, in that moment, are we going to love God more and yeah. say, it's more important for me to love God and obey him and want to honor him than it is to, for me to love pleasing myself. Yeah. I, it's an excellent point, Bill. And I think it's when we think about that in terms of our decisions, they're a matter of what we love more. I think that helps us make decisions that honor God more of the time. Awesome. We're taking a little break. David Wheaton is my guest. He's the host of the Christian Worldview. You can learn more about him and his program at the thechristianworldview.org. We're going to come back and continue our discussion on embracing a Christian worldview. Be right back. I'm back with David Wheaton. We're continuing our great study on embracing a Christian worldview. David, what does it mean that Embracing a Christian worldview is ultimately about embracing Christ. Yeah, that's this is now we're getting to sort of some of the bottom line things here, like the point of it all. <laughs> We've yeah. had this series about embracing a Christian worldview. Well, what, what, what is that really about? Well, it's not just about embracing sort of a way to think and live. It's about embracing the person that is the source, Christ, the source of that Christian worldview. Uh, you know, if if the function is of a Christian worldview is for us to think biblically and live accordingly, well, it's really to think and live like Christ for God's glory. And we glorify Him when our thoughts and our desires and our affections and our actions aren't in alignment with God's desire. So embracing a Christian worldview is ultimately about embracing the Christ of the Christian worldview. 
And that word embrace is a, is, is a warm noun, uh, verb, excuse me. <laughs> um, it, it means to, to draw near, you know, to hug, to embrace, to hold on to, to hold close, to grasp. So all these different words, these synonyms give you an idea of that's what it means to embrace Christ. So when you believe in Christ, when you no, 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 and, and what that means is when you believe in Christ, you don't just believe he existed because the demons believe in Christ and shudder. It means when you believe in him, it means you transferred your trust from your own ways, your own religious ways to be right with God, to the one way that God offers. In other words, you're trusting in his sinless life, his substitutionary death on the cross for your sin, his supernatural resurrection, that that life, death, and resurrection fully satisfy God's wrath, his just wrath, and his justice over your sin, so that God will rescue you, as it says in Colossians, from the domain of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of the of the Son, whom he loves. Look at this great transfer. You're, you're in the, the kingdom of darkness before you're saved, and God transfer, tra- transfers you into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So once you believe in Christ and you get the Holy Spirit, as we talked about earlier, then as you draw near to Christ through engaging in a local body of believers and in being in prayer to the Lord, hearing from God through the reading and preaching of his word, this is how you, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you begin to ingra- embrace not just a way to think and live, oh, that's important, that's really the kind of the effect of it, but you're embracing ultimately Christianity is about a, a person to know, not just things to know. And so I think that's always important to think that in mind, uh, keep that in mind, is that the Christianity is not just kind of a, a way to think and live. It's about a, a, a God, a son of God, to embrace and know and follow closely as Lord, as master. And this brings God glory, which is ultimately the purpose for which we should be living our lives, to bring him glory. Mm, So good, David. Because we should bring him glory, let's talk about how we can do that on on an everyday basis. I mean, what does it look like? How do we walk that out? Well, we hear this said a lot. I just want to live my life for God's glory. I know. Um, we, we, this is a very common phrase, and it's very true. It, this, is, this is really what we're called to do. As a matter of fact, you've probably heard of the Westminster Catechism. The, the shorter catechism has a question in it. What is the chief end of man? And that's kind of a bottom-line question, isn't it? What's, the, yeah. what's our purpose in life, right? Why are we I mean, here? Yeah, why are we here? That's, there's no more important really question than that. And the answer from the short Westminster Shorter Catechism is, boy, we're here to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of life, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So what does it mean to, to glorify God? Well, we glorify God when, we're, when we obey his command to repent and believe in the gospel, when we're reconciled to him, when we, when we get in right relationship with him, that glorifies God. We glorify God when we become like his son. We talked about in, you know, embracing a Christian worldview is to become like Christ. We glorify God when we do that. And God gives us his Holy Spirit to help us do that. So he will help us understand the word as we hear it preached, as we read it, as we pray, uh, when we're part of a local church, as we engage with believers and non-believers. It's just summarizing just the things we just talked about in the first segment. But that gives glory to God when we pursue and we are impacted by those ordinary means of grace. And ultimately, it's about becoming like Christ, the source and the center of the Christian worldview. But we also glorify God when we think and we live 
as he intends for us. That's what wisdom is. There's a wisdom of the word, and there's a wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is to do things according to human reasoning, human wisdom, and that's flawed and fallen, and that, that does not glorify God, that dishonors God. But when we, when we do things according to the wisdom, as, it, as it's written very clearly in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is the skill of thinking and living as God intends. And so that's why Solomon was so wise for at least most of his life, because he understood God and he understood how to apply it to his life. So that's how we glorify God, when we think and live as he intends. And finally, it's not, again, not just for ourselves, but we glorify God when we proclaim his gospel and his truth from his word to others. So there's many ways to glorify God, from being saved to sanctified, to thinking and living as he intends, to proclaiming God's truth and gospel to others. That is the chief end of man. That's a chief end for each one of us. God created us to know him, to, to be in right relationship with him, and to glorify him in everything we do in our life. And this is something that sometimes can feel sort of ethereal. You can't kind of put your hands on it. But it's something that as we engage with those different elements of being born again and sanctified and, and being part of the ordinary means of grace, God will get glory as our lives become more like him and his son. Mm. David, I was in a car accident, I think, six years ago, and I didn't get hurt, but I got my car was totaled, and I looked at my car, and, <laughs> and you know, the adjuster said, well, it's, it's totaled, and I, I think, well, that car is now alienated from its original design. It can no longer do what it was designed to do. And so it was given the, the title of being totaled. And I thought, boy, that's, that's the condition we live in when we live in sin apart from Christ. We're alienated from the life that God designed us to have. That's, a, that's exactly right. If, I, think if, I think Satan is a master, and the world is their masters of distracting us away from those most important issues. Everyone listening today should be thinking, what is the purpose? You know, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going mm-hmm. after I die? I mean, to be asking these questions, and not only to be asking them, but to be finding the answers that God gives us. Where do we come from? God created each of us in his own image for his purposes and his glory. That's where we come from. Why are we here? We're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And where am I going after I die? Well, it depends on what you do with God's provision for your sin. If you receive God's gift by his grace of Jesus Christ to be the payment for your sin, you believe in his work and not your own work, God forgives you and reconciles you and you're going to heaven the Bible promises. But if you refuse that, like if you're offered a gift at Christmas, you say, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want that. If you refuse it, then you have to pay the penalty for your own sins and Mm -hmm. eternal punishment. And so anyone listening today, think about those questions. Make the choice that God wants you to make. Be reconciled to God. David, thank you so much. Look forward to our next time together. Thank you, Bill. You bet. David Wheaton has been my guest, host of The Christian Worldview. We'll be right back in just a minute. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. 
Time drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. So glad that it is this season of Thanksgiving and gratitude and we should always be giving thanks to the Lord. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. That's Psalm 95, but I'm going to talk today about Thanksgiving, and it's sometimes this time of year is a perfect time for that good old attitude adjustment. To help me do that is Beverly Canaris. She was a formal, a former Bible study fellowship leader, teacher for over 30, 30 plus years, and um, always glad to have her on the show. Beverly, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Great yeah. to be here. Yeah. So let's talk about this season we call Thanksgiving, which I think we all love. We do. Yeah. I find a favorites. lot of people almost favorite over Christmas I agree. at times because we don't have all that clutter of the gifts mm. and the disappointments of what those gifts were, whatever it is. I mean, it's just easier to travel. It's it, Everything is a little easier about Thanksgiving, and it, it is just um, hopefully it will be a time where we will take time to acknowledge the Lord. Sometimes with the hustle and bustle of Christmas, that's even less than Thanksgiving. So let's talk about Thanksgiving a little bit today. Um, And you talked about it being an attitude adjustment. And I really think I need this attitude adjustment uh, more often than once a year, certainly. I, I need to constantly remind myself about giving thanks. It's so easy to fall into the rut, rut of grumbling, <laughs> complaining, being unthankful, selfishness. And that's the trifecta. Yeah, it really Grumbling, is. Grumbling, complaining, selfishness. Yeah, there you go. Uh, definition of sin equals <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right there. Well, Thanksgiving reminds us of our need to be thankful. At least I hope it will. And maybe this uh, teaching will help all of us to be more aware of being thankful. At our Thanksgiving table, Bill, we have for years shared three things that we're thankful for. And then we'd always give a little three-by-five card. And then on the other side, we'd write what we want for Christmas. And the sky was the limit. Nice. Yeah. So it was it was serious, and yet it was a lot of fun and a good way to kind of get to know each other a little bit better, you know, have some kind of meaningful communication. You know, we often say, um, oh, health, family, or Jesus. But those are really our default answers Today, we're going to look, take a look at what real Thanksgiving is. We're going to talk about the who of Thanksgiving, the what of Thanksgiving, and the how of Thanksgiving using the Bible as our guide. So if you or your family needs a brush up on Thanksgiving, listen up. I need this too. So the Bible teacher is teaching herself today. Let's start with the who of Thanksgiving. The whole point of Thanksgiving is not the what are we thankful for, but to whom. Just think about that a minute. That was kind of a a mind shift for me. Not what we're thankful for, but to whom. Who are we thankful to? People who do not know God can't be thankful. They can be thankful for things or what they've achieved or what they possess. They can be thankful for all kinds of things, but... If our thankfulness is not to God, it is not fulfilling its most important function, and that is thanking God and praising Him. So that's the whole idea behind Thanksgiving. Now, we can become thankful to people, and I believe that we should be thankful to people. Um, I have a friend who I have been rather generous with, and this friend really has a 
a, a flaw, I would say, almost in the character where um, there's never gratitude given. There's never thanks given. And I've just kind of learned this about this person and, um, you know, trusting the Lord to work in the heart and to maybe make some changes. But a thank you note seems to be a thing of the past. Am I am I right? It does. Yeah. Do you get I a mean, text? I mean, a handwritten note is pretty rare. Yeah. It's almost prehistoric. Almost. Yeah. Almost prehistoric. A text, an email, that might be something, yeah. but a handwritten yeah. note. Yeah. Yeah, it takes time. You have to write it. You have to think about it. You got to put it in the mail. Yep. Got to know their address. Um, got to remember how to use penmanship. Exactly. Yeah. yeah who does who that? Who writes anymore? Right. Yeah. I know. But anyway, I I'm okay with a, a text. I really am. Um, but when there's no gratitude shown, you know, I I think how much how much the Lord feel when we don't show any gratitude to Him for all of the many things He does for us. So here's an important point point about gratitude about thankfulness. It must be taught. And certainly, Scripture teaches us the importance of gratitude and being thankful. Uh, my my daughter, Amy, is really good with her kids. She always has them, like with after birthday presents or if I've just given them a special day gift, whatever it might be, they always send me a note and personal note thanking me for the specifics of what they've gotten. And it, honestly, I, I think it's just a beautiful training and also then that can be um take that and then say and now we should be doing the same for the lord we should be verbally thanking him as well a biblical text on thankfulness is found in luke 17 uh, i'm going to just read it to you if you can just listeners picture the story as it's unfolding here it's not long now on his way to jerusalem jesus traveled along the border between samaria and galilee As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Wow, let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, Jesus is at a location where he's in between Israel and Samaria, and he's on a journey. Um, The lepers stood at a distance when they called out with that loud voice because lepers were not allowed to come into close contact with others. Uh, They even called Jesus master and asked for his pity on them. They are really in the most desperate state. Don't you just, your heart ache when you read about this, how leprosy was treated in Mm -hmm. these biblical times. They were calling out for Jesus to have mercy, to heal them. So often this is us, isn't it? We call out to God begging him to help us, have mercy on us. We're just in dire straits. I did that 10 minutes ago. Ah, well, (laughs) we we do have those moments daily, (laughs) don't we? we do. We do. We have a desperate need. Well, Jesus instructs them to go and appear before the priest at the the temple, 
in order to be declared clean in front of the religious community. This is what Scripture told lepers had they had to do. They had to go before the priest. The priest had to inspect them, and if they were clean of leprosy, he would declare them clean so that then they could join society and back into the religious community. Um, they were healed, it says, as they went. So this is as they took his word by faith, they were healed. So all good so far. Mm-hmm. Beautiful picture here. Um, yet only one of the ten came back to thank Jesus. And note, he again used a loud voice, but this time in praise. Can you picture this? Just falling at Jesus' feet. It says he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Such a picture here. Instead of staying away from Jesus, he's now cleansed. He now throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And this is a picture of all of us sinners who have become contaminated with sin. When Jesus cleanses us, we should just throw ourselves at his feet and forever be a thankful person. An important note in this story that Jesus makes clear is that this guy was a Samaritan. And now he was he was not liked by the Jews. The Samaritans and the Jews had a lot of tensions between them. They were actually hated. It was not the leprous Jews who were supposed to know God that came back to thank Jesus. So Jesus's words to the one thankful healed man is very instructive to us. Where are the other nine? Only one returned to praise God, and he was a foreigner. So here's the point. You know, we often cry out to the Lord for something, and then when the crisis has passed or the prayer answered, we just move on. We yeah. forget to thank him. I mean, guilty, guilty, guilty on my forehead. It, I, I do this, and I don't want to do this. I want the Lord to remind me, help me to always look back and to say thank you. Almost the relief overwhelms you, and that's the reward, right? Right. I'm so relieved that I was able to get out of the situation or... Circumstances have yes. changed. Um, I so, don't feel so this way anymore. On. You move on. The crisis has passed, right. and yep, it's so it's an easy thing to fall into. But I really think Scripture and, uh, asks us not to do that, not to forget. Even as human as that is, we need to make efforts to remember to come back to Him, to fall at His feet like this one individual and to thank him. Again and again, we read in the Bible, how many times I didn't even look it up because I thought it's just got to be in the hundreds of times where it says, give thanks to the Lord. That's a command, not a suggestion. Give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 118.1 is an example. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, in the Old Testament, there was even a specific thank offering that was to be given to the Lord. Our thanks, our our praise is to be a sacrifice of praise as well. So by giving praise and thanks to God, it does cost us something. We have to stop and think about it. We have to be deliberate about it. Uh, We have to use our voice. Maybe we even give sacrificially because we're showing our thanks. We give God praise and thanks by really, this is the hard part, dying to self and our eyes instead fixed on the many good and perfect gifts from above. So that's our goal here today and for this Thanksgiving. We want to have our eyes on all the good and many perfect gifts from above. Colossians 3:17 says, "And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him." So that really tells me in all circumstances, in all ways, I am always to be giving thanks to God. 
So here's our takeaway from this illustration from Scripture. It is God that we are commanded to be thankful to. It's a wonderful privilege. It's obedience. But it's not just a feeling. It's an active, active recognition of who God is and what he has done. Thankfulness is a power that glorifies God's God, and it grows our faith. We miss that often. The more we are thankful and the more people see us being thankful, God is, is growing us and we are giving honor and glory to him. Do you want to glorify God? Thank him. Do you want to grow spiritually and encourage your sanctification or this becoming more like Jesus process, becoming holy? Do you be a thankful person? I love that. Bev, I think if it's all right with you, we'll take a short break. Beverly Canaris is my guest, and she is the co-host of the podcast, She Is Becoming, and also a former Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years. We're talking about having a thankful heart and making sure that we uh, give God thanks in all circumstances. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. God commands us to have a thankful heart, and that's what we're talking about today with Beverly Canaris. And so far, we're focusing our attention on um, this Thanksgiving season and uh, looking at the, the who, the what, and the how of Thanksgiving. And we're going to use Scripture as our guide. If you just uh, joined us, we started talking about the who of Thanksgiving. I, I can bet you know who that who is. But, Bev, I think it's time to move on to the what. Yes, it certainly is. Um, one of the things when we were just signing off for, for the break was we talked about what a difference thankfulness can make to us. It, it glorifies God, obviously, and elevates him, but it helps us to grow. It encourages us in our growth when we're a thankful person. We will be a more joyful person, a more content person, and a more selfless person if we are a thankful grateful person. So, all right, we know we are to thank God. Sometimes we're just, oh, I'm thankful for this. And it's just like goes in the air and it's to no one. We have to focus our thanksgiving on God. But what do we thank God for? Well, everything, obviously. But let's talk about a few specific things we can give thanks to God and his son, Jesus Christ. Scripture gives us all sorts of things to thank God for. Second Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I love that at Christmas. I really do. The gift is God's surpassing gift of grace through his son, Jesus Christ. And in fact, Ephesians 2 calls our salvation a gift from God so no one can boast. So that is the the biggest thing we have to thank God for always is our salvation in Christ and what Christ has done for us and how much God has loved us in that sacrificial death of Christ. This grace gift is supreme in what we want to always thank him for. We were sinners. We were hopeless, just like those lepers we read about early, earlier. We were under God's wrath. But because of God's grace, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to bear the wrath, the punishment for our sin on our behalf. We cannot earn this. This is a gift which we thank God for profusely. Now, more spiritual blessings. What are So if we can change our mindset to things uh, that we're just saying in the air 
uh, let's think about it as specific things, spiritual things that God has done for us that we can thank him for. Hebrews twelve twenty eight tells us that we receive an unshakable kingdom. We are part of something, Bill, so much greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Praise be to God. Thank you, God, that I can be a part of that unshakable kingdom. First Corinthians tells us that God gives us victory. So even when we may feel the most defeated, God can come in and take a situation and turn it to a victory. Scripture also tells us that God leads us. Proverbs 3, in all your ways, lean on him, and he will make straight your paths. We can thank God for that. He has chosen us. Scripture says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We had no part in that. So, I mean, to thank him for that, that he knows us and has chosen us. Another thing we can thank him for is we have security in the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us and his seal is our guarantee of eternal life. We have security in him we can thank him for. We can thank him that we're never alone. Jesus promised, I am with you always. We have the privilege of prayer and are encouraged to pray about everything with thanksgiving from from Philippians 4. We're to present our request to God. And then the peace of God will come over us. We have a God who rules in sovereignty, a God who sets up kings and removes kings. Now, you know, with election and politics, some of us just get all twisted up about all that thing. But we have to remember God rules sovereignly. And for that, we can thank him. We have a God who sees us, hears us, promises to walk with us through the fires of life. Think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're in a fire, but... There was a fourth person in the fire with them, and that was the pre-incarnate Christ. And then God closes the mouths of lions. Think of Daniel in a very precarious situation, and yet there was this other figure in the lion's den with Daniel, and he closed the mouths of the lions. Such protection. We can thank him for our protection. We are loved, Scripture says, with an eternal love. I don't know another human being that can promise you that. We can have comfort, his comfort, his protection, his wisdom. James 1 encourages us to ask for wisdom. He delights. He wants to give you his wisdom. We can thank God for that. We can thank God that he's our provider. We're told in Matthew to ask, knock, seek. No, I'm sorry, John. Ask, knock, seek. uh, And we're promised to receive, to find, and to have doors opened. We can thank him for those people who speak truth into our life. We can thank him for his word, the Bible, solid truth in a relative world. You know, it's like, who do you believe today? Mm. What do you believe, right? You're going to read your social feed and that's going to be your source of truth. What's your source of truth? Thank God that you can stand on scripture, biblical truth for the truths of what life is all about and who God is. Yeah, who wants another opinion? Yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and what's happening is we're, we're a mess because we, we don't have that solid foundation. We're just uh, jello all over the place, mm-hmm. right? So we thank God for that. Um, thank God for his peace that's greater than your circumstances, that's greater than no worldly person or thing can give you peace like the peace that God can give you. Okay, we could go on forever in this area. This is a list we could continue on and, and on. on and on. And Bev, you're doing a great job. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking about Thanksgiving. If you just joined us, and I promise you're going to want to go to the beginning of this uh, podcast and hear it from the start because we were talking about the who, the what, and the how of Thanksgiving. So please continue. All right, let's look at First Thessalonians five eighteen. It says, "Give thanks." 
in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's a direct command there. So often we look at this like, yeah, that's just so beautiful. And then we think, wait a second, this is a command. If you were highlighting all the commands in the Bible, you'd have to highlight this one as a command to give thanks in all circumstances, not necessarily for all circumstances. Um, But even in the most difficult circumstances, at least in my personal experience, I have always found things to be thankful for. Always. I can, I force myself to have, be disciplined and to thank him in the hardest of times. So we are to give thanks for all things. God is at work. He is very involved in our life. Now let's just talk about some practical things. How can we go about thanking God? Well, first of all, always in prayer. Uh, we're to pray about everything with thanksgiving. Uh, a wonderful acronym is called ACTS that we can use for praying. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So if you just follow that every day when you begin to pray, you will end up thanking God consistently. So that's helpful. Um, a great way to re- to begin prayer is remembering who God is, thanking him for all he's done. And before you get into your request, because you've, you've focused your mind on all God is and what he has done, and now you're ready to request from him because your faith has been improved. Um, you can give your request now Uh, really confident of God hearing you. Keep a journal of gratitude. Um, I do this on a daily basis. I I journal. And one of the things I journal is I always force myself to write something down because I can be very ungrateful. Uh, Write something down that I'm grateful for. And and then at night, often when I'm laying in bed, I'll go over my day with him, just kind of like I'm talking to him at dinner or something, you know, and talk to him about it. But often it just ends up with a thank session, you know, mm-hmm. just thanking him for all the different things that happen. Uh, another thing we can do to practically go about thanking God is look for an opportunity to witness to others how thankful you are to the Lord and why. I think this can be so helpful in our families, uh, with our friends, you know, that that instead of saying this or that, you can say, you know, I'm so thankful God was so good to me here and why. Um, it has a it has a, a great effect on others and encourages them to do the same thing. So this is something we can model. It's very catchy. Uh, learn more about gratitude, which is the attitude of Thanksgiving. Read about Thanksgiving. Look up scripture on being thankful. Teach our children and grandchildren the importance of being thankful to God and to other people. Take time to thank people for their kindnesses. Also, thank God for them. I mean... I, you know, we just want to be thanking God for each other often. I thank God for this this ministry here of Faith Radio and all it has done for so many over the years and encouraged so many people. Uh, use scripture to thank him. Every day as you read your Bible, read with an eye to thank God for the things you read. You know, just what we read here in Luke. Thank you, God, that you can heal. Thank you, Lord, that you um, have a compassionate, gracious heart to those who are hurting and in such dire straits. So, I mean, it, it, it just begs for you to respond with thanksgiving. So here's a truthful piece of information, a takeaway, I'd like to call it. Thankfulness builds our faith. So have you and have I been like the nine lepers who receive so much from the Lord and yet remain thankless to him. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Yeah. (laughs) My my, my answer is yes. I know. I know. We all feel the pinch of (laughs) this. Oh, yeah. That's so convicting. uh, Yes. You know, we're like that little child 
with our parents. You know, our kids don't thank us for everything we do for them. Oh, Mom, thank you for cleaning up after me once again <laughs> after dinner. Thank you, Mom, once again for running the dishwasher. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. We're like that little child who yeah. we forget to thank of all the things that God has done for us. So we really need reminders like this, don't we? Very, very often. So I, I want to ask the listeners now, how can Thanksgiving become part of your daily life, not just at Thanksgiving? Bill, earlier on the radio, I heard you given a promotion for the show, and you gave a list of like five or six things of everything you were thankful for. You must have had Thanksgiving on your brain. And one of them was you were just so thankful for how you were given this opportunity to be a part of God's work. And that just touched my heart. I was on my way here, and I kind of wanted to tear up. It was like, wow, I didn't even think of that one. So, I mean, it's just endless what we can and should be thanking the Lord for. So this Thanksgiving Day, maybe you can have people read verses on thankfulness or set the stage for heartfelt sharing on what we are especially thankful to for uh, this year. But have it be focused on God. What do you want to thank God for this year rather than just what are you thankful for? That first Thanksgiving bill was not people thanking the Indians. They were thanking God. It's not Turkey Day. It's not Friendsgiving. It's Thanksgiving. And it's meant to be given to God. Mm -hmm. I love that you brought this to our attention today and gave us a really a great uh, path that we can take ourselves on about the the who and and the what and the how. So thank you. You're so welcome. Yeah. Beverly Canaris has been my guest. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.